1995, Disney introduced the world to its version of the story of Pocahontas with a music-filled animated film that featured songs like Colors of the Wind and Just Around the Riverbend. But who was Pocahontas really? That's what we're examining in this installment of Footnoting Disney. Hey everyone, Christine here. I'm excited to continue Footnoting History's Footnoting Disney series for you with a look at the life of Pocahontas, because the film she inspires happens to be my favorite Disney animated feature, and one which heavily influenced my interest in biography. It sent 10-year-old me off into books to determine how much of what was on the screen was real. And that, dear listeners, is why I'm the one bringing you our Pocahontas episode. As mentioned in the intro, Pocahontas was released in 1995 and it was Disney's first animated feature film about a real person. That real person was, of course, Pocahontas, an American Indian woman whose speaking voice was provided by Irene Bedard and singing voice by Judy Kuhn. The film begins in 1607 on the east coast of the modern United States of America in what is now the state of Virginia. It covers the arrival of English settlers, including the film's love interest, John Smith. They arrive into a land occupied by American Indian tribes led by Pocahontas' father, Powhatan. Pocahontas comes into contact with John Smith and teaches him that he needs to pay more attention to people, like herself, who are different from him, because there is much to learn from others as long as you are open to it. The story culminates in a clash between the Powhatan tribes and the colonists, where Pocahontas must intervene before John Smith is killed. Spoiler alert, she succeeds in preventing Smith's death, but then he gets injured anyway when attempting to save Pocahontas' father from an Englishman's shot. He must then return to England to recover. Pocahontas, when presented with the option to join him, chooses to remain in Virginia. In preparation for this episode, I watched The Making of Pocahontas, a short Disney documentary from the 1990s that explained that Disney based its film on the myths and folklore that surrounded her life. It said that the film should be viewed as inspired by her instead of being a strict biography sticking to the hard facts. But the facts are going to be what we are looking for here. Pocahontas's life, in truth, is still a mystery in many ways. No written sources exist that come directly from her. She left no autobiography, though that would have been really nice. She left no letters or anything that conveys her life story from her perspective in writing. All the writing about her that comes from her time period is by people who met her, predominantly colonists like John Smith. They were prone to exaggeration and, in some cases, complete fabrication. Pocahontas' biography has largely been stitched together by combing through as many sources that reference her as possible. But gaps remain, and some areas of her story lack consensus from historians. So we're going to see what we do know about her now. We should begin with the fact that Pocahontas wasn't actually her name. Her real name was either Amanute or Matuaka, or possibly a combination of both names. Pocahontas was probably a nickname meaning playful or mischievous. While her exact birth date is unknown, she was likely born around 1595 through 1597. Her father, known as Powhatan, was the paramount chief of a network of individual American Indian tribes located on the east coast of what is now Virginia that included the Pamunkey and the Mataponi. 
he appointed others close to him, sometimes male relatives, to act as werowances, a role that functioned like governors of specific regions within the larger area of control. As for Pocahontas's mother, well, we know pretty much nothing about her. But we do know that Pocahontas's father had many other children with many other women, because not unlike in European culture, it was common to use the joining of bloodlines for political purposes. For someone as powerful as Powhatan, it was not unusual for him to have multiple marriages. A woman who became his wife would return to her home as soon as she'd had a child by him. That child would remain with the mother for a period, supported by Powhatan, then eventually return to be raised by him, and the mother could marry someone else. In Pocahontas's case, there were many other wives and many other children who varied in terms of political importance within the Powhatan tribes, so to view her as an only child would be a major misstep. The tribes within Powhatan's jurisdiction all had their own specific ways of life, because this was an arrangement where Powhatan was recognized as the paramount chief and received tribute from the other tribes, not one where everyone was made to live in identical cultures. Although their language is often collectively referred to as Virginia or Powhatan Algonquin, there were numerous dialects spoken throughout the region, and their traditions and history were passed down orally as opposed to through the written word. Where Pocahontas grew up, they usually lived near rivers, and those rivers were used for transportation, sources of food, and bathing. Their homes would vary in size, but as you might expect, Powhatan's home was usually bigger than the rest. As a child, Pocahontas would have learned most things from her mother, assuming she was still alive. The Mataponi oral tradition states that she passed away while giving birth to her daughter, in which case she would have learned likely from other female figures. She would have been recognized as an adult around the age of 13 or around whenever puberty hit. This is important because I said that historians believe Pocahontas was born in the late 1590s, which means that she would have been somewhere around 10 to 12 years old, and more a child than a full-grown lady, when the English settlers arrived in 1607. The English settlers arriving that spring probably were only a mild surprise to Pocahontas, Powhatan, and the others, because while it's not like they invited them to come visit, they also were certainly not the first Europeans to stop in the region. For example, in the late 1500s, the Spanish tried to set up a Jesuit mission in what is now Virginia, and the English attempted a settlement at Roanoke Colony in what is now North Carolina. Neither of these ended well. The three ships that arrived carried about 100 people from England with a mind to create a prominent settlement under the sponsorship of the Virginia Company of London. The place they decided to settle we now know as Jamestown. It is named for the English king of the period, James I. Among these settlers was John Smith. Smith was almost 30 years old and had significant travel and fighting experience, which helped him secure the position traveling to the so-called New World. Being a child, Pocahontas would have had little reason to meet the English immediately, but her father would have been on high alert. One did not achieve the prominence that he did without paying attention to the people around him especially when they are newcomers whose intentions are pretty unclear. But Pocahontas, did she save John Smith from being killed by her people, as she does at the most dramatic moment of the Disney film? Maybe. 
Possibly, but probably not. The way Smith eventually told the story was that at the end of 1607, he was taken captive by a Werowance of Powhatan. After a period of time traveling around under the guard of his captors and fearing for his life, he was taken to Powhatan with great fanfare that drew a vast amount of onlookers, including Pocahontas. He then thought his fate was sealed when a large stone was brought out and he was made to put his head upon it while men prepared to, and this is a direct quote, beat out his brains. Pocahontas, however, had something to say about it. She didn't want to see Smith killed, and when her words failed, she physically stepped in, taking his head in her arms and putting her own head on his to prevent anybody from killing him. She succeeded, and eventually John Smith returned to Jamestown, though he did not provide Powhatan with the weaponry that he had promised to bring back upon his release. Nevertheless, the colonists benefited from Pocahontas's father helping them make it through the winter by supplying them with the food they needed. This famous story of John Smith being saved from death by Pocahontas first appeared in print in 1624 when John Smith published The General History of Virginia, New England, and the Summer Isles. It's interesting that an event that was believed to take place in late 1607 didn't make it into the pieces he published in 1608 or 1612 or any other time. It is also interesting that as Smith wrote about his various life adventures over the years, he included multiple instances where women of status like Pocahontas saved him. While the story of the rescue quickly entered into popular lore, historians have long debated with great amounts of passion whether it actually happened. I've come across many theories regarding this. The most common ground among researchers of the period seems to be that Smith was indeed taken into custody at the end of 1607, but I should point out that it was not the first interaction between the groups. Powhatan's Werowances had feasted with the settlers more than once, and they tested out the defenses of Jamestown's settlement with an attack that showed them that the settlers had muskets and cannons. At the end of the year, the people of Jamestown weren't doing so great. Their health situation was poor, and many had died over the summer. Smith, then, was out about exploring and probably seeking food or trading with anybody he found. While out, the men with him were killed, and he was captured by one of Powhatan's relatives and taken to Powhatan's place of residence. That's, generally speaking, where things start to diverge in terms of historical opinion. There are few modern historians who champion that what Smith wrote in 1624 was 100% true, word for word. One thread of common historical thought is that when Smith wrote this new story into his narrative in the 1620s, he added intentional fiction. By this time, he had been back in England for over a decade. Also, as we'll see, the English who would read this were far more aware of who Pocahontas was in the 1620s than they were when the event allegedly occurred in 1607. This means that her name might have been used to sell more copies. Furthermore, in the 1620s, any positive interactions between the Powhatan tribes and the settlers were over. This was a period now of bloody conflict between the two. It is quite possible that Smith made it all up, and since both Pocahontas and her father had passed away by the time it was published, they weren't exactly there to refute what happened. Another popular thread of belief is that there was something to the story that Smith told 
but that it wasn't exactly how he said it. Here, it is interpreted that Smith was actually part of a ceremony by which Powhatan symbolically adopted him. This would be why he was allowed to eventually leave, but Smith didn't necessarily understand what it was that was going on. He was now viewed as one of the Powhatan tributaries and supposed to behave with the same amount of respect and reverence towards Powhatan as those from other tributary tribes. Meaning that, in response to Powhatan's help and support, the English would also bring yearly tribute. While the other tribes might have brought things like crops or game, it's likely that Powhatan preferred something else from the English. Metal and weaponry. Although the English had no desire to give that to them. Still others say that while, yes, Powhatan likely did do something that he believed was an adoption situation, it was probably not a ceremony that involved Pocahontas, and that part of the story is still a fabrication. Although you can read and research this scene for your entire life, the truth is that we will likely never know exactly what happened at the end of 1607. I must emphasize that Pocahontas and John Smith did not have a romantic relationship, although I know the tragic romantic arc is there in the film. Actually, their lives only crossed paths for a brief period. By 1609, John Smith had gotten injured thanks to the explosion of a gunpowder bag and returned to England. So that's about two years that they would have possibly known each other, and that's it. Pocahontas' life marched on as Smith returned. It's possible that in 1610, she married a man named Cocoam. And if you're a fan of the Disney film, you'll know that name. He's represented there as a much lauded warrior that Powhatan wants Pocahontas to marry, but she's not interested in it. By contrast, her friend Nakoma, who was my favorite character, was definitely attracted to him. We don't really know anything about Cocoam except for that, that one thing, and his time with Pocahontas was limited. The Mataponi oral history tells us that she did marry, but her husband was not alive for our next event. Although we mentioned that the Powhatan tribes had saved the English from starvation, the grace period of positive relations ended, especially since the English clearly weren't leaving, but were instead getting more aggressive, and everyone was now embroiled in pretty much continuous conflict. In 1613, an Englishman saw the opportunity to gain the upper hand in the conflict with Powhatan. He located Pocahontas and kidnapped her, hoping to use her as a pawn to leverage power and collect ransom from Powhatan. Powhatan, however, wasn't interested in playing games. Pocahontas remained in Jamestown as a hostage for over a year, during which the course of her life shifted significantly. She was converted to Christianity and baptized with the name Rebecca, which is likely a reference to the Rebecca who appears in the Bible's book of Genesis. As if that wasn't a big enough change, in 1614, she also got married to an English widower and tobacco farmer named John Rolfe. In Disney's sequel to Pocahontas, a straight-to-VHS movie called Pocahontas 2, her marriage to John Rolfe is seen as a slow-burning love match. But in reality it was probably far more diplomatic and political in nature. Uniting the two sides with the marriage of Powhatan's daughter to an Englishman would help ease the tensions and stop the bloodshed. Rolf once wrote that he wanted to marry Pocahontas, then called Rebecca, for the honor of the colony 
the glory of God, the good of the plantation, and for the conversion of an unbelieving creature. This is yet another time where I sorely wish we had extant information about how Pocahontas viewed the marriage. She was no doubt aware of how forging alliances through marriage worked, growing up as she did with her father, but being kidnapped and held among the settlers for a long time was not something that she had volunteered to do, so we can only imagine the emotions that she was going through. In 1615, Pocahontas gave birth to their first and only child, Thomas. This new family was seen as a great symbol in the minds of the English. If they could convert someone as important as Powhatan's daughter, then who was to say that they couldn't also convert all the others in the Powhatan tribes and beyond to Christianity? The Virginia Company wanted to show off this accomplishment and stir interest in the colony. So a trip was arranged. Lady Rebecca Rolfe, the woman formerly known as Pocahontas, traveled to England in 1616 with her husband, son, and several others, including representatives from the Powhatan tribes. She was essentially an ambassador. While there, she was feted in lavish receptions, received by King James I at court, and attended his famous Twelfth Night Mask. She even met up briefly with her old associate, John Smith. Smith tells us that during this meeting, she expressed her disappointment that he did not treat her father as well as her father treated him. As someone often associated with being a positive go-between for the two groups, she no doubt was very aware of her father's expectations and the English's failure to meet them. People wrote about her regal bearing, and the Virginia Company collected money to help further their efforts like conversion. Pocahontas was not the first American Indian to go to England, but she was held up as an example of one who could take up the Christian faith and behave like an English lady. While in England, the only known image of her was created. You may have seen it before, but if not, it is on the Footnoting History website. It shows her in full English dress and identifies her not just as Rebecca, but also as Matuaka. Although the travelers attempted to return to Virginia in 1617, Pocahontas fell ill, and her health deteriorated so badly that she passed away before they left England. She was buried in the Church of St. George in Kent. John Rolfe returned to Virginia, where he successfully continued growing and exporting tobacco. He remarried but passed away in 1622. Pocahontas's son Thomas did not return to Virginia with his father, but instead remained in England with the custodian, meaning he was only a baby the last time he saw either of his parents. When he reached adulthood, he moved back to Virginia, where he lived for the rest of his life. Powhatan passed away only a year after his daughter, so the two people, Powhatan and Pocahontas, who were most responsible for keeping relations between the Powhatan tribes and the English from erupting into bloodshed, were both gone, and things soured quickly. John Smith, whose writing has influenced so many people's opinions and understanding of Pocahontas in the centuries since she lived, but who was only actually in her life for a very brief period, passed away in 1631. Disney was not the first company to create a dramatization of Pocahontas's life for public consumption. No, there have been songs, plays, poems, books, movies, and everything else telling a variety of versions of her life story practically since she was still alive. Sometimes she's depicted as heavenly in love with John Smith. Sometimes she isn't. 
Sometimes she's a grown woman when he arrives, and sometimes she's a child. Pocahontas' image has been on stamps and in cigarette ads, and she's been used by various groups as someone who represents their beliefs without there being any way to confirm whether or not that was true or she would have agreed with them. And while some depictions of Pocahontas are respectful, that's definitely not always the case. The myths and folklore surrounding Pocahontas have taken on a life of their own. But, as Irene Bedard, remember the voice of Pocahontas from the film, has said on numerous occasions, at the core of Pocahontas is peace. So, I hope the next time you watch the film, or home Colors of the Wind, you'll think about the real girl at the heart of the story, whose life details we are still trying to truly uncover. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Footnoting Disney. Don't forget to check out footnotinghistory.com's post for sources related to this story, and interact with us on Twitter at History Footnote, or Facebook and Instagram at Footnoting History. Special thanks to all of our Patreon patrons, and remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. <laughs>